This is the last episode of two this year. Girls, one ghost. Oh yeah, this is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. Uh, that is Corinne, and I am Sabrina. And this is the last time you'll ever hear our voices in the year 2018. Tomorrow's New Year's Eve. I hope everyone has a plan, whether that's to stay in or go out, and is safe on New Year's mm-hmm. Eve. I. I'm planning to do absolutely nothing. I am such a holiday celebrator, but for some reason, I hate New Year's Eve. Well, because New Year's Eve, and this is how I feel, but I just feel like New Year's Eve, there's so much hype about it, and it's always a letdown, and I've felt this way since middle school. People build it up. People have so much anticipation, and instead, you just spend so much money. You go out, and you're uncomfortable in what you're wearing. You drink a lot. Everyone else is obliterated around you. The Uber home is 100 bucks. It's unsafe. You don't often get to kiss who you want. (laughs) That's the real truth. I don't know. I think it's also about self-reflection. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes it can be sad, but also it is exciting just to look forward and also see what you did in the past year and how you can change. Personally, I've had the... At the same time, it's been the most incredible kind of forward momentum year, but also the most mentally challenging and anxiety-inducing year I've ever had. It's good, I guess, if you're looking back on the positives, but instead of looking back on everything that I achieved, I often look forward into the next year. And I'm like, okay, it's one year past, and here are all the things I still need to do. And then I just have, I just get you know what? We all have our holidays and New Year's is not mine. Yeah, mine either. I'm going to be in Minnesota and I'm my weary bones will be so cold because I am not, I have, my blood has thinned since living in Los Angeles and I cannot oh, handle yeah. anything colder than 40 degrees. You're, you're in for it. Minnesota. Since we're talking about New Year's, can, instead of reflecting on sad things and things that we need to still do, what are you excited for for 2019 and what are you most proud of for 2018? Well, 2018, I f- I'm 100% most proud of the podcast. <laughs> I feel like that's what was one of the biggest achievements. Yeah. Yeah. And I also finished grad school. So, yeah, that's huge. Those are, those are two things. But I'm most excited, honestly, it's still about the podcast. 2019, I'm excited to like go and do a live show that's just two girls, one ghost, and like get to interact more with the people who listen and try to grow the podcast a bit more and maybe venture into other sort of areas. Yeah, I'm so excited for live shows. What are you most so most proud of of 2018 would be getting into the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop and just yeah, I mean the podcast as well. Like it's crazy to think that last year we were sitting around this time we were sitting in our family homes over the holidays recording and and sharing our podcast with what like a thousand people maybe and five five people yeah (laughs) and now we have so many more listeners we have almost we have more than three million downloads total like that is amazing it's so crazy to me it's like hard to even fathom feels good yeah it does it's so weird and then next year for 2019 i'm most excited for one thing I'm not going to say on the podcast because I don't want to jinx it, but Corinne, I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, for being a writer, hopefully um, because of this workshop that I'm in, uh, come 
March, April, May area time of the year, I will be... You'll be a real Hollywood writer. I'll be... No one's staff. assistant. It will be Sabrina Danaroga writer. And also, I have an episode of television coming out in... I think it's in April of Blindspot. I wrote an episode. So many things you've done. <laughs> oh, it's been a year. I think you're famous. I'm not quite, but it's been a year. You're like an actual Hollywood person. Kinda. Yeah, that's weird. You think you hear about like writers and people who work on set and actors and all these people who make things happen. And it sounds so foreign and it feels so far away. But like, here you are. I know you. <laughs> touched. I've touched you before. You're real. You touched me. <laughs> you know my name. I'm famous now, I think. Yeah, I mean, we talk every single day. So therefore, we are one in the same. And now the podcast is proof that I know you. <laughs> These episodes are out there. If anyone ever doubts it, I can say, please refer to two girls, one ghost. So you're saying She's I can never deny that I know you. Yeah, Not that no, I would. Not that I would. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. I'm locking you in now. It's so funny how like anytime I tell people like what I do for my job, which to me seems so normal, but like I understand like if I take a step back, I'm like, oh, whoa, my job is so cool. But anytime I tell anyone that I'm a writer, they're like, oh my God, let me tell you my whole life story. You have to write it. They're mostly moms, uh, friends of high school, like my high school friends' moms who will like come up to me and be like, let me tell you my drama. Mom drama is honestly the best drama though because it's the most relatable yeah. it's like everyone understands it yes my mom wants me to write and i did i started writing a pilot when i was writing comedy i she wanted me to write um a show about her life and her dating life specifically she's like you wouldn't believe the dates i go on and i was like well maybe you don't have to tell me because i don't want to know <laughs> how about we keep it to ourselves well i don't want to brag but you did write a character based on me i did that's true. You inspire me every day. And did that is it that the pilot that you submitted to the writers workshop? It is, Corinne. So, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if I didn't know you, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am and so I therefore you are I'm the Chrissy Teigen to your John Legend. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's your dream. I just am. <laughs> and then you're inspired and you write about it. I mean, and you succeed from those writings. <laughs> I love it. Oh, gosh. Oh, what's your sweatshirt? The most wonderful time of the year. For a? For a beer. <laughs> I'm wearing my holiday jammies because I there's a very few amounts of times that I can wear them. And now that I'm not working right now and I'm just staying at home all day, I've been in my Christmas jammies all day. You know what my family, we have a holiday tradition. Um, one of the things that happens in our house during Christmas and still happens as my brother and I are in our 20s, mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve, we'll be caught off guard and we'll hear something upstairs and we'll go up and our windows will be cracked open and we'll have a new set of pajamas because Santa snuck in on Christmas Eve and set out a new pair of pajamas on our bed Aww. for us to wear and then open presents in the next morning. I love the Christmas jammy tradition that people have. And I love that Santa opens your windows and leaves them there for you. Isn't it cute? It's been like the best memory since I was little. He used to come during bath time when I was really, really little. So now it comes during wine time, TV time, you know. All right. So this topic, <laughs> Sabrina, your face. I just forgot to breathe for a while. So it, it kind of like. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever seen that 
expression on your face. I felt like you were four years old and just like was waiting for your mom to pick you up and you thought you were standing in the right place, but maybe you weren't because all the other kids got picked up. It's that. That was your expression. Oh, gosh. But you should be happy because we're talking about libraries and we're both big readers and we love books. Love books. And it's also my dream job to be a librarian. So this topic kind of fueled my soul. I (laughs) semi-cheated. What do you mean? I didn't choose an actual library. Okay. But I chose a haunting that's in a library, like the library section of a building. Okay, that's not cheating. That's still a library. Okay. There are books there and people sit and read. That's what matters. Like, there are people who's who have libraries in their homes. It's still a library because it's a place that contains books. Okay, thank you, because this is a library that is in an old monastery. Ooh. It is the library at Combermere Abbey, Cheshire, England. Hmm. Okay, so the Combermere Abbey used to be a monastery. It was founded sometime in year, in the 1130s. Isn't that crazy to say? Because America is so much newer in terms of our history and our buildings and the things that we often talk about when it comes to hauntings. But Europe, it's just crazy to say year 1130. Yeah, that's insane. That's wild. That's so long ago. Yeah. We're used to saying like way back in the 1800s. Seriously. Which like was only a few people ago. Yeah. Okay. But this was built sometime in the 1130s and it had done really well for a while. It was like definitely a booming monastery. There were a bunch of monks, but eventually they f- did fall on hard times and officially closed their doors as a monastery in 1538. And that is when Sir George Cotton then bought it. He converted it into a private home. He basically tore down like the church and a lot of other bigger buildings that were a part of the monastery and just Mm -hmm. made it into just a large private residence. That sounds nice. (laughs) I know. He has a library within his house. So that's even nicer. That's so nice. That's my dream. That's when you know you made it. If you have enough room for a library, ooh, hot doggy. I have a whole Pinterest board of like my dream library that one day I will build with my own two hands. With all the skills I learned as a theater technician way back when at LMU. Well, I'm going to look at your Pinterest page because I'm super curious. I'll share it with you. Also, why have you never been Belle for Halloween? That's a good question because she's my favorite character. Uh, she's such a reader and you're a brunette and it would be perfect. It's a, it's a hard costume to find. There are people on Etsy. You can craft it together. How about we do a couple's costume? You're Belle. I'm the Beast. Oh my god, next year? Yeah. Even though I already have my costume for next year, but yes. Sure. And then we'll let your boyfriend Nick be in on it since I guess he's the real couple. Can he, he could be arguably. He could he's gonna be Lumiere. He's tall and skinny. He can definitely be Lumiere. <laughs> yeah, that's better than I was saying. I was thinking Gaston and I was like, that's kind of mean because <laughs> he does not get the girl. All right. So This turned into a private residence and it was passed down to family members and stayed pretty much in the family and like as a private residence for a very long time. And in 1891, a member of the family, Lord Combermere, was struck by a car, causing a lot of injury to his legs and ultimately resulting in his death. And Combermere was a descendant of the family who had owned the house during that era And it's a really significant house in his family. And so I guess he chose to hang out there in his afterlife. Mm -hmm. 
His funeral was held on December 5th of that year, so in 1891, December 5th, 1891, at St. Margaret's Church in Renbury, and most of his family and most of the staff members from the house were all in attendance for this funeral. It was only a few miles away from the old abbey, the house, but while they were gone, Lady Combermere's sister, Sibel, she stayed back, and she stayed at the abbey, and she was like, you know what? Most of the people are out of the house. This is a great opportunity for me to take a photo of the room I love so much, the library. Oh, what happened? So she sets up the camera. And this is like way back when. So the cameras don't just take a photo in an instant. She had to basically set up the photo, do a long exposure. And so the photo took around an hour to take. So she set up the camera for the long exposure and just let it take the photo. But pretty much everyone was out of the house. Everyone was at the funeral. Uh-huh. So Sabelle's like, this is great. I have the photo. Can't wait to develop it. <laughs> Though she takes a year. <laughs> so. <laughs> hey, things went a lot slower back then. Okay, so a year later, Sabelle goes and she gets the photo developed. And she's super confused because in the photo, everything is mostly in place. But sitting in the chair of the library is this ghostly image of an older man oh i just got chills the man has a beard and he looks a lot like lord combermere whose funeral was that day that she took the photo oh my god and lord combermere had also loved that chair he always sat in that chair that was his sitting chair in the library and so they were like, hmm, I wonder if it's him. But then they're like, okay, well, we have to be certain. Like, it very much looks like him. So then they started going back. The family, she told her sister, and the whole family started their investigation. And some people were like, oh, well, it must have been a few of the servants who were still at the house with Sibel, because just a couple of the people were still, like, looking over the house and caring for it. Right. But every single one of the servants was accounted for. No one had gone into that room. And... All of the servants were much younger in age compared to Lord Lord Combermere. So it was pretty clear that it wasn't them. It didn't look like them at all. This was a photo of an older bearded man. It's him. Some people were like, well, it must be a double exposure trick. Like someone was sitting in like came in and sat in the chair and, you know, like just got up really quick. And you guys planned this and it was someone who like looks like Lord Combermere. And they're like, "No." no, we didn't. And also, if we did, we wouldn't wait a year to develop the photo. (laughs) You know, you'd be on it and be like, look what I have. Look what I did. And that wouldn't be the thing that you're doing on the day of your loved one's funeral. Yeah, that's bizarre. Like planning to do like a half ghost photo. trick everyone? It doesn't make sense. No. It's a ghost. It's a ghost caught on camera and that's what it is and that's what we believe it is. And so, therefore, it is. Lady Sabelle says – or sorry, Lady Combermere's sister Sabelle says – or said that the photo did take an hour to take, but no one was in there. No one walked in and sat in the chair. She was certain of it. And all of the clothing worn by the men that day, it was more like fancy, you know, funeral wear. But the guy in the photo, the ghost in the photo was wearing clothing that was like drastically different than anything someone else was wearing so even if someone did come back from the funeral early and just sat in the chair for a moment not realizing that the photo was being taken they weren't wearing appropriate clothing for the event that they had just attended Mm. so they're like well that's another reason right and then also it was his favorite chair in the abbey 
or in the library of the Abbey. Mm -hmm. And then his own children saw the photo and they were like, that looks an awful lot like dad. (laughs) So it was him. It's a striking resemblance to Lord Combermere. I believe it. So three years later, three years after the photograph, it was investigated by parapsychologist Sir William Barrett, and it was under review by the Society of Psychical Research. They believed that the photo was authentic, so they didn't think it was doctored at all, but they were also like, this was human error. Someone had to have sat in the chair during the long exposure. I don't know. But like I said before, the family was adamant that no one did. None of the servants did. All the servants were accounted for. Everyone was like, sorry, it's just a ghost in the photo. That is by far the most famous photo from that property. And it was taken in the library. But there are other ghost sightings and paranormal activity that happens in that area. Some of the activity includes the spirit of a little girl who will appear. And when she does, it's thought that her appearance is a sign of impending death. So someone will die in the family or around the family. There are also spirits of monks that are seen on the property. And apparently the monks that were at this monastery were like not the nicest, not the traditional monks. But that's a whole nother story. And then something that I think is amazing and also a little freaky is that they believe that the lake that's on the property is either enchanted with a curse or that there's a sea monster because people have gone missing. That is and in so fi- cool. In the 1530s, there was a, a bell that they needed to transport across the lake uh-huh. to get to the house or whatever, the monastery. And a man was in a boat transporting it and something happened and he was never seen again. Presumably drowned. Eaten alive by a sea monster. By a sea serpent. I love it. So there's a ghost in the library. There's a cursed lake. There's a spirit of a little girl and some ghost mom- monks. Wow. And that is the Combermere Abbey and the library in it. I have so many things to say because – the and I'll start with something that has to do with me because I like to refer to myself. I like this only natural. Her name was Sabelle because it's Sabrina and Belle. It would be my shipper name with my favorite Disney character. <laughs> And then of all the ways to go, and this is what your the sea serpent made me think of, I really like there are so many mundane ways to die. And like it's not death that fe- makes me afraid. It's the fear of dying in a way that like is horrific, like a a car crash or anything like that. Well, you know, that's my biggest. Yeah. Fear. Like if you just went in your sleep, you wouldn't know the difference because right. you would you know but like just be dead and it hopefully would have been peaceful right but if i'm going to die in a in a crazy way i would love to have a sea serpent swallow me whole if a car comes towards you you're like oh shit it's a car it's gonna hurt i know what's coming but a sea serpent would i don't know if maybe it would be better because you'd be so confused you wouldn't really that's what i mean like i'd be like have enough time to think right i'm in danger yeah, because if the car is coming at you, like, you just panic. I mean, yeah, sure, there's panic in both versions. But, like, what if this sea serpent is, like, do you ever remember old Greg, that YouTube video? I'm old Greg. Oh, my God. Old Greg has been a huge part of my life right now <laughs> because I've been watching, when I was sick, I watched The Great British Bake Off. Uh-huh. And in season five and season six, 
they have new hosts and they're both comedians, a woman and a man. And the man was so interesting. He's like a goth. And I was like, there's something about him. I'm, and so I started looking him up and he was old Greg. No freaking way. He's old Greg. I'm old Greg. Do you like Bailey? Do you love me? Are you playing your love game? Oh my God. Because <laughs> what if it, what if that's like the sea serpent you meet and you go down and undersea in his weird cave and you drink Bailey's? Here's a picture of Bailey's a little bit closer. <laughs> oh my God. I love old Greg. It is so weird. We watched it at work the other day and everyone was everyone who hadn't seen it was like, what is this? And it goes on for like 10 minutes. I was thinking about it and I was like, what if I did that for Halloween next year? I, oh. But the only thing is I'd have to paint my face green and it depends on where I go for Halloween and if I'd be too sweaty in like body paint. I really, you need to do that. I probably will. <laughs> it, that is amazing. How have we never thought of that before? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, because it's like an easy costume too. Like all you need is a bottle of Bailey's and like your paintings and then a tutu. And then like a little flashlight to put by your crotch. (laughs) (laughs) I love that this episode is like kind of looking forward to next year. And the biggest thing that we're the most excited for is Halloween, which is not a surprise. I mean, this is a podcast about ghosts. So, right. It's not surprising at all. Okay. This is semi off course, but also related to our listeners, because someone said this. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe it was just on Instagram. I don't know where I collect my info from these days. Yeah, there's too many avenues. But somewhere, someone said, what if when the like meteor came down and destroyed, like hit Earth and destroyed all of the dinosaurs, what if that was actually a spaceship carrying aliens and the aliens were humans and that's how we got here and that's who we are? I'm, I would be, I'm, I'm curious how the aliens survived and yet everything else on, well, almost everything else on Earth was like wiped out. I was listening to the ologies episode of, it was the evolutionary biology one. And they were saying about how we are descendants. We have, we are descendants of of creatures that have existed for billions of years. That is why we exist because our uh, predecessors have evolved throughout the years. So we are, isn't that weird to think that you're like great, 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 however many great ancestors, some creatures so, so different than humans, right? but like that's our relative. Right. <laughs> and we're all made of the same stuff. Stardust. Yeah. And humans all came from Africa and some of them ventured out from Africa and mated with neanderthals and that's why some people have more neanderthal dna than others but essentially we all came from the same spot and we all came from africa and we just went a little more north and got a little whiter and weirder looking we could have been that in a past life that could be us okay okay what's your library i traveled to dublin ireland you know there's so much more history there and sometimes there's just something about a library that Newer libraries don't have the same feel as older yes. libraries do. I completely agree. Yes. And the smell. And you know what? I think that's why I like Boston Public Library because the old section reminds me of Europe. And the library I chose, which is Marsh's Library in Dublin, Ireland, reminds me so much of the Hogwarts Library Library that I was like, I'm in. Don't even care what the story is. <laughs> I am talking about this just to fuel my own happiness. But the story is also great, so I'll get to it. So it is Ireland's oldest public library. 
and it first opened in 1707 to the order of Archbishop Narcissus Marsh, and it contains over 25,000 books and 300, 300 manuscripts from the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. And then over time, many people have donated their personal collections to Marsh's library. So when the Guinness family sold their farmly house to the state, they donated all their books to Marsh's library. So it just has oh, wow. all these amazing texts, original texts that are like handwritten, old school, like very nicely bound. Like looking at pictures of it, it really does look like the restricted section in Hogwarts library. The library actually still features its original fittings, which means they have the original seating and shelving and the bookcases are all original and they're made of quarter planed Baltic oak with carved and lettered gables. And it's made up of two long galleries joined by a small reading room. And they have these cages in the back, which are like, there have been a lot of thefts, especially at old libraries. You can sell these old texts for a lot of money. So now when people Mm -hmm. go into the libraries, they have to sit in these cages while they read the book. So that it prevents thefts. And also like similar to uh, the Hogwarts library in the restricted section, they have like chains on books. They have that at Marsh's library and it's to prevent people from stealing them again. I also am curious about when they're really older books, how the oils in our fingers affect the pages and the writing or the print. I bet you they have to wear gloves if they're looking at books. Yeah, they must because if it's that old where it's like people are trying to steal them, you'd think that they'd be delicate. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Yeah. There was actually a story of a man who went to like a used bookstore and found this book that was like very old and in a in a language that it was written in a language he didn't understand he couldn't read the text and so he bought it and then saw on the inside it had um, a marsh's library stamp and he returned it to them and they were like this book has been missing for decades and we've been looking for it no way what a good man. I know. And so he returned it to them and like gave it to them basically back for free, even though he paid for it. Well, good for him because you know what? Books are meant to be shared by everyone. And don't you want other people to get to see it and read it? Exactly. Yeah. And especially because these are books that aren't duplicated. They were written once and maybe, maybe there's one other copy, but there hardly are. And so you want to preserve them as much as possible. And okay, this is a weird fact. And I don't know if it's true because it was written in like this, um, a local artist, his name is John Rooney. He wrote and illustrated a book about Marsh's library because it's just like in the area in Dublin, it's such a historic place that he wrote this book about it. And apparently in the book, he wrote that the books in the collection that some of them are um, preserved with urine. Uh, interesting factoid yeah sounds wrong but who am i to say (laughs) but uh john rooney wrote it and so uh who knows this would be a great ologies episode for ally to do like about libraries bookkeeping oh yeah oh and then there's this so in the library bookshelves and in some of the books there are bullet holes because in the i think it was 19 1916 there were rebel snipers fighting on the street and when they were fighting and shooting, the bullets went through the walls of the library and into books. So they still have those books and the bullet holes are still in them. Whoa. And they haven't fixed it so you can go there and see them. Oh my gosh, I would go just for that. I think that's so cool. Yeah, I know. It's so fascinating. There's just so much history there because this building has been standing for decades. So just like the history it itself 
contained and then it has also absorbed from like just being there is it just blows my mind i love it i love libraries i love history i just i have a boner for history <laughs> <laughs> and to add to it another thing that was really exciting about this library is that bram freaking stoker who wrote dracula spent many a time at marsh's library researching for his books no way Mm -hmm. and he's not the only one so he there's records so they have like this the visitor book from the 1900s and like 1800s like since the beginning of its being uh its opening and they have the signatures of bram stoker jonathan swift james joyce and many other notable authors in the visitor book and you can look at those as well that is the coolest thing right because we always say that like record keeping wasn't great back then but this library was like records are the shit and we're doing them yeah and you know what else is really nice like now that wouldn't be a thing because people have library cards you check in electronically if you check in at all so even if in 100 years someone wanted to look back and see if like i don't know stephen king checked into a library it wouldn't be as magical as someone's hand signature written in like an old bound book right yeah you can't just print off like oh (laughs) Here's our Excel sheet. Like, well, because hand not as nice. Handwriting is so personal, whereas the computer, when you type things, it's mechanical and it's nothing original. Whereas someone's signature and handwriting is so unique mm-hmm. that you feel like you could, you can imagine. Like, it's just yeah. But there's also they have de- detailed records of what Bram Stoker consulted on his visits, like the books that he checked out. And there were a ton of books on religion, witchcraft, and travel in Eastern Europe because he never actually traveled to Transylvania when he was writing Dracula. Isn't that shocking that people can just do a bunch of research and get details accurately or accurately enough to trick readers into thinking that they've been there? I remember in like middle school when... I had to do and the, the internet was there computers were there but we had to do a research paper and I used an encyclopedia I remember in middle school when we'd have assignments they would have specific days where our class would just go to the library mm-hmm. and look at books and the librarians would help us find books and go through encyclopedias and like do our research from the books yeah such a different time now I because I tutor a girl who's a junior in high school and just like the way that she researches is so different than even I was doing in high school, you know? There is no consulting of books. We read so much more than you do nowadays because you had to read through many pages to find the like one detail Mm -hmm. or whatever you were looking for, hopefully. And now you can just control find on a web page. And within 30 seconds, 60 seconds, you know if if it's right or not right marsh's library is actually right next to saint patrick's cathedral which is the famous cathedral in ireland it's beautiful Mm -hmm. and it is also right next to the saint patrick's cathedral cemetery which of course means ghosts and there's one specific ghost that haunts marsh's library and it is the ghost of archbishop narcissus marsh the library's founder he was the Archbishop of Dublin starting in 1694. He had a niece whose name was Grace, and he basically raised her. So it was like his own daughter. And when Grace turned 19, uh, she met and fell in love with a sea captain who Marsh did not like. 
I guess, like, he just didn't seem like a good, good guy. It's as if, like, you were to marry Andrew, mm-hmm. a pirate. I probably wouldn't fully condone it because I don't want you to be heartbroken. But Grace, being 19 and in love, decided to run off with the sea captain and get married, elope, and run away together. She felt very guilty doing this, so she decided to leave a note for her uncle But she was like, I don't want him to find it right away because I want to give myself and the sea captain time to get away. And if he finds a note, he'll come searching for me and prevent me from doing what I want to do. She wanted a head start. Exactly. So she left the note within the pages of a book. What book? We don't know. And neither did Marsh. And so he spent ages looking through every book in the library trying to find this note. And he was convinced that in the note it would say – Everything that, like, it would give reason for why Grace left. Because to him, he all he knew was that Grace disappeared one day. How did he know to look into the books? I think Grace's sister or a family member told Marsh that he le- that she left a note. Okay. Um, but so he spent basically the rest of his life searching through the books at the library. And he never found it. And so he... Wait, this chick never came back for like the holidays or to say, hey, hey, Heidi Ho, it's been five years, but like, I'm just in town visiting. How are you doing? I mean, he died in 1713. So maybe she came back after that. I'm pretty sure their bodies are buried next to each other at St. Patrick's Cathedral, but I don't think they overlapped again in life. Damn, can you imagine? And so he, his ghost is seen. There's this, at one end of the library, there's this door that kind of floats at the top of a spiral staircase case and uh it's like super out of place if you look at pictures of it it just like doesn't look like it belongs it's kind of like haunting of hill house that that doorway up at the top of the stairway and it's like Mm -hmm. that's a weird way to put it because that stairway is kind of precarious but his ghost is seen coming out of there and uh he'll like walk down the stairway and then start searching through the books and it's believed that his ghost is still looking for the letter from his niece grace and sometimes like the bookkeepers at the library will see books out of place and they like know that they didn't put it there because everyone who comes into the library has to sign in and they have to like be approved and like they're not let out of sight unless they like are in the cage you know Mm -hmm. so They know when books are taken off shelves and where they are, but they'll come in in the morning and they'll find books out of place and kind of like open at at a certain page. And it's clear that Marsh is still looking for this letter and he's never found it. My heart breaks for him. If I was a librarian there, I would very carefully and making sure that I was respecting the books, go through every single book in that library. Oh, yeah. But by this point, don't you think every book has probably been opened? I don't know. But maybe not every page has been flipped That's what through. I mean. If these are, there are, what, over 25,000 books there, and how many pages they each have, I don't know. That that would take a long time. I wonder if someone found the note almost mm. immediately after she wrote it and just took it home thinking it was much older than it was and thinking it was like a cool thing, not knowing that they had just taken away answers from someone who was searching for them or they hid it from him because they didn't want to break his heart and whatever the letter said would have hurt him oh you know that's really sad we don't even know the answers and i'm getting (laughs) sad about these we're invested his ghost is the main ghost at marsh's library but there's also because it's right next to saint cathedral's cemetery there are some other ghostly visitors and um, there's this weird, it's kind of weird. So the bodies of Jonathan Swift, who's the author of Gulliver's Travels, I don't, I'm not familiar. Um, and his girlfriend, Stella, are both buried at that cemetery. And for some weird reason, they were 
copies of their skulls made and they're held at uh, Marsh's library. Weird. Yeah, it's super their weird. skulls? And I wonder if it's like, you know how like they used to take molds of, uh, or like they used to study serial killers' brains because they thought they'd learn something like for scientific reason? Yeah. So maybe that was part of it. I don't know. I don't know. But so they made these copies of their skulls and then they're held in the cages in the back of the library, kind of like as decor. I'm sure there's a scientific reason behind it. I don't know. But it is believed that Jonathan's ghost comes from the cemetery and visits the library and then sits in the cage that his girlfriend Stella's skull is in as if he's like trying to get spend time with her and get closer to her even though it's just a copy of her skull yeah that's a little morbid yeah but But it's also kind of romantic because he's an author and I'm sure he he has this like romantic side to him where if Stella's soul moved on and she isn't a ghost stuck in this like in between of worlds he misses her and like this is the closest he can get to her I like how libraries aren't just books, you know, like they have so many other things that are kept there. That's like this community, like people go there, not just for readings, but like for craft nights or to look at old replicas of schools. Like there's so many reasons that a library can bring people in the door and bring people together. I love it. You want to know what else they found at the library? What else they kept there? Yeah. So one day in 1888, a... (laughs) Worker at the library opened a cupboard and found a frickin' mummy. <laughs> How did someone die in there and not smell? But it was a mummy. And mummify. It was a mummy. So, like, it, they didn't die in there. They must have, like, someone must have either bought a mummy and stored it in there or... Oh, like a real mummy, not just, like, a mummified like body a real that mummy. had been found. A real mummy. Where do you just find one? I have no idea. And it's such a mystery. And so everyone at the library, they called, they gave him a name. They named him Maurice. And then they gave him to the anatomy department at the Trinity College. And they kind of did an examination of the body to figure out what what the hell it was and where it came from. And they don't know how the library became the owners of it or how it ended up in that cupboard. But they determined that the man whose body it was, died at the age of like anywhere between 25 and 40 years old. And his head and humerus were missing. So it made some of the determinations a little difficult to figure out. But they were able to figure out that this mummy dated back to 1500 BC. That is the strangest story I've ever heard I know. 1500 BC mummy gets mysteriously relocated to a cupboard. In a library. In an Irish library and remains undiscovered for many years and still to this day no one can figure out who acquired this mummy how they got it in the doors and in the cupboard without anyone noticing it's so weird and why they would want to give up the mummy it's so weird it is so weird i don't understand it perhaps the mummy walked himself in there (laughs) yeah i don't know it's weird i was reading this thing about libraries in general about how when books and things are stolen from libraries, they tend to be very secretive about it because they don't like to admit to it. So I wonder if like someone bought a mummy and then didn't want to, I don't I have no idea. I don't know. Or maybe someone stole the mummy and a friend asked about it and they lied and said that they got it from like the library or something, just being dumb, not wanting to say where they actually got it, which might've been way scarier. And then the other person who found out had such a guilty conscience thinking that their friend or whoever had stolen this mummy from the library and they went and thought that they were returning it secretly. (laughs) 
This is a movie. This is like <laughs> night at the museum, but night at the library. And it's this heist. And then they... A reverse heist. Yeah. Regardless. That is Marsha's library. And it's actually open to visitors for a fee. I think it's like three euros. I might be wrong. That was Wikipedia, so I don't know for sure. But um, the hours are 9.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then 10 to 5 on Saturday. They have guided tours and then it said, like, in the past few years, visitor numbers have increased tremendously. In 2015, there were 23,000 visitors. And I think 2018, they don't have – well, in 2017, there were, like, double that. I'm so upset with myself for not knowing that this was a thing when I was in Dublin. Because I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. I, like, walked around that area. But I sure as heck didn't go into the library. Yeah. Well, we'll have to go back. Because last time I did Ireland, it was on a bus tour with where I was the youngest person on the bus. And it was a, a little strange. That's such a, like, ominous way of describing your time in Dublin. I'm so curious now about your time on the bus with these older strangers. I did it with my family after um, high school. Because I was in the Fringe Festival in Scotland, and so my mom came out, my mom, sister, and brother came out, and we did. So I had done London, Scotland, and then we were like, okay, well, now we may as well make it a whole trip and go to Ireland afterwards. So we went to Ireland, and my mom was like, well, I want to see everything, but we only have a week. So we took a bus tour and spent majority of the time on the bus, and then like would stop occasionally at places, and then... Yeah, so we didn't get to, like, experience things. It was kind of a bummer. Oh, that's too bad. But I'll go back. And then yes, if you are a scholar or if you are studying and you are a student, you can contact the Marsh Library and set up an appointment, and they will set you up to come read books and manuscripts in those cages for free. I do want to go back to school for psychology one day. That is what I studied. I know. Not only do you inspire me to write, you inspired me to further educate myself in the same field. <laughs> Maybe I'll go back for screenwriting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do like a um, Freaky Friday swap. Steal each other's careers. And lives. I'll take your social security number and you'll take mine. But at least that works out and it's not like someone only stealing mine and I don't get to steal anyone else's. Yeah, it's just the good old switcheroo. All right. Do you have a listener story? I do. This is called Library Ghost Experiences. Hi there. I have to say first that this is by far my favorite podcast and I couldn't ask for a better way to end my day than listening to you guys. Oh. All three of my experiences have happened at a library that I work at. When I first started working there, I always got weird feelings, but it took about a year and a half for anything really creepy to happen. The first thing to happen is the one thing that I'm most skeptical about because it could have just been wrong place, wrong time type of thing. So I was standing next to some file cabinets that are about seven feet tall and they have an assortment of random things stacked on top of them. While we were having a staff meeting, a DVD case fell off of the cabinet and just barely missed my head. Ooh. I would have just shrugged it off, but I wasn't standing directly under the place that it fell from. I was a good two feet from it. I hope that this was just an accident, <laughs> but it would have needed a good push to get that close to me. All of my coworkers kind of just gave a nervous laugh and didn't say <laughs> much about it. They for sure know that it's a ghost. Oh, yeah. My second experience is the one that creeps me out the most. It was a really slow day, and there were only a couple of people inside the library at the time. The shelves reach floor to ceiling, so it can get pretty dark down the aisles. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the way that they, in, in movies, when they have old evidence lockers, yeah. and they go back to find the old murder kits, and it's like floor to ceiling shelves, and it's all dark. Yeah. 
I was shelving books about a quarter way down the second to last row, which is near the back of the library, and I very clearly hear a raspy voice say slash whisper, sir? It was like someone was trying to get my attention, and I turned around expecting someone to be standing next to me, but surprise, surprise, no one was there. The closest person to me was sitting at the computers in the middle of the library with headphones on. I asked him if it was him, and it wasn't, and he said he hadn't heard anything. The other person in the library was an elderly lady on the opposite side of the library, standing about 70 feet from me. There was no way someone her age would be able to get that far away so quickly. I decided to ask her anyway, but she also said it wasn't her. After this, I was thoroughly creeped out, and I didn't leave the front desk again until I left at the end of the day. Amazing. My last experience was a little different than the first, too. It was another really slow day with only a couple people inside. We tend to get a lot of those days. I was bored and was just wandering through the shelves, straightening books and wasting time. I turn a corner and get blasted by a super cold chill. I first assumed that maybe the AC had come on and was blowing air in my direction, but given the only two vents are on the other side of the building, I dropped that explanation pretty quickly. I continued walking and I stopped about halfway down the aisle. A few seconds after I stopped, the cold air settles over me again. Now I'm thinking, okay, what the hell? So I whisper, if you're here, can you follow me back the other direction? Oh my gosh. So daring. As I'm walking back that direction, I feel what I can only explain as an extremely cold, condensed pocket of <gasps> airflow through me. What? The feeling I had at that moment wasn't fear at all. It was almost euphoric. I honestly think that I may have been feeling the emotions of the spirit who had finally been noticed after spending so many years trapped oh. alone. Oh, could you imagine just like jumping for joy like, wow! Someone me. That was about a year ago and nothing has happened since. Hmm. I really hope that maybe all the person needed to move on was to be noticed. One more thing. While I was typing this, I heard two loud scratching noises in my room. Thought it was the cat at first, but I just remembered I let him out 30 minutes ago. There aren't any trees near the windows or walls to make that noise. So now I'm a little spooked, <laughs> Dylan. Wow. <laughs> I love the idea of... The only thing this want this ghost wanted was someone to acknowledge its existence. Like that's why I was I picture like a little things. cartoon, a little cartoon ghost just like doing flips. Yeah, there's something about like being in a library late at night and you hear noises like that. I'm pretty sure someone on our Facebook group posted a video of them at a library that they work at, and they were like all these lights flickering and like books being thrown off shelves. This was like a really long time ago. But I, I remember that. Was that a listener or was that just a video that went viral? I think it was a listener. Yeah, because I remember there was, or unless I'm thinking of a different video, but there was definitely one where it was a security guard that was walking around the library at night. The chair was moving yes. and pushed out and they were just sitting against the wall quietly. <gasps> and you can hear bangs and books falling yeah. down the hall. I'm so sorry that we don't remember your name, but we acknowledge you and... We hope the ghost has not gotten you. Was it a listener? I don't know. I really do think it was. I swear. I don't know if I'm mixing up two videos, but wasn't there another one? Maybe this. Oh, no. That might have been a mall. Because there was another ghost video where someone heard a loud noise and they're like videotaping and walking around another security guard and they see someone get on the escalator and they're watching the person filming. You can see the person going up the escalator. And then they turn the camera, like the person's gone and they turn the camera. And then all of a sudden you see the girl (gasps) down at the bottom of the escalator on the other side, like closer to the person again. And they freak out. Oh, I've never seen that one. That's horrifying. 
so scary. It was posted on her Facebook. Oh my god! While while I was doing research for um, Marsh's library, I did like a YouTube search of um, haunted Marsh's library, and I watched this. It was like haunted Ireland, and then it had like Marsh's library, and it was a one minute video. And I start watching it, and it's this guy narrating. It seems like it's an actual show or like a, like a professional video, and then all of a sudden it does that jump scare where they like throw like a like a scary ghostly figure that screams on the top of the screen and i was I not those. expecting it and i jumped and screamed so loudly in my apartment today they're mean it's like a cheap it's a cheap scare yeah i'm sorry because i really thought i was gonna learn something and said i just had a mini stroke oh. <laughs> okay do you have an email i do so this is from sydney and it's called the man with the bandana Hi guys, my name is Sydney and I'm a huge fangirl. So recently I've become obsessed with your podcast. I've actually marathoned every single one in a week. That's some serious commitment. I know, I'm very impressed. Anyway, enough flattery and more ghosts, right? Yes. So I grew up in a house that we were the original owners of. My grandma bought the house in the 70s right after it was built and immediately weird things started happening. My mom never went into detail when I was younger because I was always very skittish. I never liked paranormal things and look where I am now. And so she tried to keep everything that happened in the house to herself or to other family members, but she never told me. If I saw something, she would always just try to pass it off as something normal, such as, oh, that's just the house settling when I heard creepy noises, or, oh, that's just your sister when I saw someone walk by and knew for a fact that my sister was not home. My first real experience, besides seeing flashes out of the corner of my eye or seeing figures in the mirrors that were not any of the people in the room, was one day when my mom and I were watching a movie and sitting on the couch. We were laughing at a joke when all of a sudden we heard a crash come from my room. My grandma had just gone to bed, so we didn't believe that it could be her, and when my mom went to investigate, I had my phone ready on 911 just in case. She called me to come and see what had happened. My room has hardwood floors, which made it easy to hear the sound of something dropping, but sitting perfectly still on the floor was a carousel horse figurine that I owned, as if it hadn't fallen but was placed there in the middle of the floor. My great uncle was one of my favorite people in childhood. He taught me a lot, and even though he didn't live near us, he was always sending us gifts, like this figurine of carousel horses. And I had put it on a shelf in my room and put it all the way back so that it was against the wall and in the middle of the shelf, so if there were an earthquake, it wouldn't fall over and break. These sort of figurines meant a lot to me, and I didn't want to break them. So to see it on the floor standing straight up without a crack on it, I was, it was definitely concerning. My mom and I were spooked and went back and watched another movie staying up extra late because we knew we wouldn't be able to fall asleep, and that's when something else happened. From our couch, you could look and see the hallway that led to our library slash front room, and we were watching the TV when all of a sudden we both saw a woman in white walk from the hall into the library. Oh my god. Even though my grandma had already gone to bed, as I said before, we thought that maybe it had been her getting up to go grab a book to read because she often woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep. So after calling her name and getting no response, my mom went to check on my grandma. When she went to my grandma's room, she found that my grandma was fast asleep. We didn't know who it was, but the spirit felt a lot different from the spirit that dropped the carousel horse earlier that night. We've always believed that there were two spirits in the house, but it wasn't until that night that we felt like we had further proof as this was the first time we'd seen the figure of the lady in white, as we like to call her. Turns out we'd be seeing a lot more of her after that. So fast forward about five years, my mom has gotten engaged and we moved in with her fiance. And now that we're out of the old house and I'm much older and showing more of an interest in the paranormal, my mom decided that it was time to explain what had happened in the old house. 
I had always heard a story about my uncle and he and how he was sleeping in my room. It was his room when he lived in the house and the terrible event that happened that shook everyone in our family, but I was never told the specific details. Mind you, it should be noted that everyone in my family who slept in my room or near my room in that house has had the same dream and often on the same night. For instance, when I was a junior in high school, so just a few years ago, my mom, grandma, and I all had the same dream and woke up at the exact same time, terrified that someone had broken into our house. That's so bizarre. Mm -hmm. The dream that we had is that of a man wearing a bandana on his head so that his eyes were almost covered and carrying a weapon. He was walking down the hallway to attack each and every one of us. I dreamt that he was going to attack my mom and my grandma, and my mom dreamt that he was going to attack me and my grandma, and my grandma dreamt that he was going to attack me and my mom. The funny thing is, each of us saw him with a different weapon. My grandma saw him with a knife, my mom saw him with a baseball bat, and I saw him with a gun. Creepy, right? And when we all described the man we saw, we all knew exactly what the other person was talking about because we had seen the exact same man in our dreams. So back to my uncle. My mom tells me that when she was younger and they just moved into the house, one night she heard the window next door to her open and close. Now the windows in our house have always been very fickle. They don't like to open and they don't like to close. Doing either is a lot of work and so we often didn't even try to open the windows. However, she heard the window open and it seemed that my uncle had a friend coming over or that he was just hot and needed to open the window. Our room, the one my uncle and I both lived in, was extremely hot. No matter how many times we had an air conditioner fixed, there was nothing they could do to stop the heat. Which is weird because usually it's very cold. I was just thinking that. It's like the opposite of what traditional hauntings are like. After a moment, she began to hear my uncle screaming and a constant thump, thump, thump sound. My mom opened the door to see what was going on and my grandpa came running in behind her. In the middle of the room, they saw my uncle, who seemed to be still asleep, screaming in terror as if his head were being bashed continuously against his dresser. Whatever was holding on to him wouldn't let go and he had to be rushed to the hospital because of how many wounds he had had in his head. When they asked my uncle what had happened, he described what he was dreaming of at that moment. He dreamt that a man in a bandana was walking down the hallway with an axe and came into his room and began to strangle him and then began to bash his head against the dresser. Oh, my God. And the man said something about finishing him off before moving on to the rest of the family. It absolutely chilled me to learn that my uncle had dreamt of the same man my grandma, mom, and I did so many years later. What would have happened to us if we hadn't woken up? So just to conclude the story a little bit, my mom had a friend whose dad worked on the development that house resides in, and her dad was the main contractor, and it turns out that the house was built on an ancient Native American burial ground, and they never got permission of the chief to build on it. They had been in the talks of getting permission, but the agreement was taking far too long, and the builders just wanted to keep on going, so they wound up building it anyway. Just thought you guys would enjoy that. I go back to the house often, and I've had multiple experiences even after moving out, such as waking up in the middle of the night to hear whispers in the vent of someone saying, I thought she was gone. Oh. <laughs> I've also gotten scratches on my legs and my back, even though there, even though there was nothing that could, could scratch me. My grandma refuses to move out of that house, and she's lived there for more than 40 years now, but we constantly try to get her out. There's some wacky shit that goes on there for sure. Thank you so much. Sydney. Well, that's horrifying. And she said that her uncle, like, refused, he passed away recently and he refused to ever visit the house again. I'm so curious about the bandana yeah. spirit. 
And then also let's talk about the woman in white going across the TV screen or whatever reflective surface and going into the library. I honestly think it's scarier to see a reflection of a spirit than to just witness it like in front of you. Right. Oh, it's and it's weird because like, yes, we know that that it's not always like a home or the land that brings ghosts. But like, why were these ghosts specifically like targeting this house that was brand new when they bought it? Yeah. And it's really interesting that like, all the women had the same dream the same night and woke Uh, up the same time. Like it's one thing to have the same dream or dream about like the same person or creature, what have you, but for it all to happen like at the same time is pretty crazy. And that it was so physical for her uncle. He had to be hospitalized because we hear of like, I think possessions are the, for the most part, the best example of like a physical attack with the ghost, but to be to get your head bashed in by whatever this entity is is so scary. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm watching um the old Charmed and there's an episode of this like guy who can kill you in your dreams and he's like a seductive guy who in the real world is in a wheelchair but he works at a um sleep test facility and he's like has an ability to enter people's dreams and then like kill them in their dreams so like isn't doesn't freddy krueger kill people through their dreams yeah or torment them at least so it's weird i wonder what this entity is and if it's like a curse and why he targets these people like i wonder if other people in the neighborhood have had experiences like that that oh that's a that's an interesting thought that maybe it's not specific to this house but it's actually the area that's terrifying yeah i wonder if the woman in white is like a friend of the grandma's or like a relative of the grandma's, like a sister or someone who passed away. And that's why the grandma like wants to stay in the house because she has a companion there. I don't know. This story scared me though. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to sleep. Don't dream of the man in the bandana. Sabrina, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Sorry. Well, if you guys have any ghost stories or if you work at a haunted library or anything paranormal or odd or I don't know, anything out of the ordinary please email it to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. We also have merchandise. You can purchase our merch, represent us. You can also um, rate and review us on iTunes. That's a great way to support us. Mm-hmm. Or you can donate to our Patreon. That's a third way. Yes. And our live show is coming up in like two weeks. So if you want to start 2019 off with us, two girls, one ghost and help us get our, dreams of the new year of doing more live shows across the u.s um and possibly further uh come support us at our very first live show it's on january 13th at 9 30 p.m at hollywood improv yes and if we can fill that theater we will move on to other cities uh we also have social media we have instagram we have twitter we have facebook so you can join those we always reference things that are on our social media so good to follow it all And we will see you on the other side. side.